Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I'm married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I, I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and, and I'm in a different part of the country. I, I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then. And you're re- Enacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? Oh, yeah. Hey, happy Memorial Day to you. Can you believe that I am on the air on Memorial Day, uh, taking your life to the next level? You know, educating you about things that you probably need to know about. Hi, I'm Carol Jurgensen Sheets a.k.a. Carol the Coach, and I'm glad to be with you tonight. What a wonderful weekend. You know, I'm based out of Indianapolis, and we had the 100th Indianapolis 500. And that is, you know, for some of you that may be in other countries, that is one of the biggest racing events in the world. And to have it be our 100th anniversary meant something special to so many people here in the city. So everybody has been on a high, and you probably understand that. You know, well, you're pretty aware of things that actually light up that reward center and make you feel good. Now, the good news is we all need to have those things. The bad news is that sometimes something that lights up the reward center can also really take you to shame, pain, and blame. And tonight, we're going to be talking with Gary Wilson. And, you know, I'm so excited to have him on the show. Many of you have heard, you you know that he has really dedicated himself to educating people as to what porn can do to the brain. Now, being a CSAT, Being a certified sexual addictions counselor, one of the things that we really know to be true is that pornography is not detrimental to anybody who views it. Just like alcohol is not detrimental to anybody who drinks it. 
However, there are certain brains that neurologically enjoy that dopamine high and continue to crave an urge, crave with lots of urges, that experience of a bigger and better high. And if you've got that kind of brain, then porn is absolutely dangerous for you. And you may be addicted to porn. You may not be able to stop. That in itself is a problem. The other thing we know in this recovery field, that is if you manifest other behaviors that are deal-breaking, perhaps perhaps that has to do with exhibitionism, voyeurism, frauderism, you know, all those isms. Exhibitionism, as you well know, is um, exposing yourself in public ways. Voyeurism is, well, porn can be a form of voyeurism when you objectify and voyeur certain materials over and over and over again, and it becomes compulsive and obsessive and you can't stop. Or you um, close windows, or you, you know, grew up as a kid looking through keyholes to see your sister to see her friends, to see your mother, to see your father. That's a type of voyeurism. Um, frauderism is when you touch people unbeknownst to them. You do it anonymously, and you get a sexual thrill from it. Those kind of behaviors can become sexually addictive. And for almost 98% of anybody who is treating an addict, or if you're part of a 12-step program, the number one thing they'll ask you to do is to stop pornography, even if that's not your drug of choice, because it opens the gateways neurologically to other forms of acting out that are obsessive and compulsive, if that in and of itself is not enough. You know, I recently received an email from a woman by the name Karen, and Karen said, hi, Carol. My name is Karen, and I am 38 years old. And she says, I have a real problem, and I wanted to ask you about it. And it really fits into tonight's show, because Gary Wilson is going to be talking about your brain on porn. She says, I'm contacting you about my husband, who is 42. We've been together three years, but did not become sexually involved until a year after dating. After I moved in, I found large amounts of porn on his computer. He openly admits that he has a problem and said he would like to stop because he is aware of the problems it has caused us in our intimacy. And for a large degree of people, I've got to tell you that it can cause intimacy problems. So, clearly, she says, he allowed me to put restrictions on his phone and computer, but he keeps finding ways around the restrictions. He sneaks around while I'm sleeping or before I get home from work, and he watches porn. It is like he is obsessed. It is a very compulsive type of behavior. She says, I feel very betrayed and worthless, like I'm not enough for him. Boy, Karen, that typically occurs 
for lots and lots of women who feel like they have to compete with pornographic images. You know, a lot of times those images have been altered, and even the ones that haven't. You know, most human beings are not porn stars. They can't really compete with porn stars, whether the porn is professionally done or it's amateur. And so I understand, Karen, that you don't feel like you can compete. She says, um, it's caused both of us to have insecurity about ourselves and with each other. We do not have any children. However, we have discussed having kids in the future. But right now, he no longer interests me. I fear it will only worsen once we get older and after we start a family. We decided that he needed help before we could take our relationship to the next level. We are unsure what the next steps are, which is why I'm contacting you. We live in the Indianapolis area and could schedule an appointment, but I'm unsure what your office hours are. Do you think you can help us? Thank you very much, Karen. Well, i got to tell you, what one of the things that we're really seeing more and more of is we are seeing men who actually have erectile dysfunction as a result of chronic and compulsive porn usage. And, you know, everybody thinks, well, porn is just something that everybody does. You know, boys do it, and then they grow up to be young men, and they do porn, and that's natural, and it's normal. And for some, they even say, hey, it's necessary. And we all know that women also view porn. But here's what we're seeing. We are seeing an association with reduced erectile this, uh, functioning and way less overall sexual satisfaction if you're with somebody who has viewed lots and lots of porn. In other words, there seems to be this neuroscience behind porn addiction. And tonight we're going to be finding out more about that. So to Karen, who wrote about whether I can help her, absolutely, Karen. And I would tell you to give me a call at 317-847-2244. Or you can get a hold of me at sexhelpwithcarolthecoach.com. And I will be more than happy to help you. To um, You and your husband. Because it really sounds like He wants to do the right thing. He's giving you some control so that he can do the right thing. But he does what so many addicts do. This behavior is so compulsive, they look for ways of cheating the system, of getting around it. They don't want to do that, but they don't know how to do it any differently. And so, you know, congratulations to both of you for reaching out, for, you know, to him for giving you those controls, and let's talk about what he can do to get healthy. And it's not just coming to see me. It's a whole host of um, recovery tools that he will need to participate in, and and we will be talking with Gary Wilson about those tools too. Um, If you want to see something that helps to describe what happens when you have obsessive compulsive tendencies towards porn, I highly recommend you go to his website, Your Brain on Porn. 
um, because really, you know, it may morally feel wrong, but if you can see what it does to some brains, you'll understand the neuroscience behind it. This is not just somebody who lacks willpower. This is somebody who um, is now fighting his own brain condition. So Gary's going to be talking about Internet pornography, why it's unique, and what its effects are on users. And he's really going to be talking about adolescent porn, too. I, you know, many of you know I run an adolescent group for sexually compulsive behaviors. And uh, Your Brain on Porn is one of the videos that I have the teens watch because he does such a good job of explaining exactly what happens to the brain when pornography use becomes compulsive. You know, he says there's a massive informal online experiment going on. Thousands of predominantly young men are experimenting with giving up Internet porn due to severe symptoms. Many of them are quitting due to sexual dysfunctions rates of which are soaring to unprecedented levels in men under 40. And I know that when I went to my last conference as a CSAT, we were finding more and more young men who had never had a sexual relationship with a woman because they turned to porn for their sexual satisfaction and participated so much in pornography that they were not able to have erections around young women. And for anybody who's ever had an erection problem, and that can be very normal, what happened was that they got embarrassed, they felt humiliated, shamed, and they retreated from being with a woman again. Or if they gave it another shot and they continued to have that problem, they just decided, you know, it's it, it's just not worth it. I am going to stay isolated and continue to satisfy myself sexually through pornography. And so it's an auto-exacerbating cycle. It doesn't get better. It gets worse. Then, you know, men don't feel like they can have healthy relationships. College-age students don't feel like they can have healthy relationships. They retreat, they become more isolated, and they don't talk about it with anybody. Now, we have, we have Gary Wilson who is talking about it, and we have a, uh, a couple of other young men who have great videos um, on the Internet, and Gary's going to be talking about them. They, two of them, as a matter of fact, um, were on Chelsea, Chelsea Lately uh, through Netflix. And so I'm just real excited to be talking about this topic because it, like other forms of sexual addiction, are not discussed publicly. However, you've heard me say it before, this is an epidemic. It's only going to get worse. So I welcome your email questions and really want you to stay open to this topic because it can be very, very, very sensitive. So I am excited to have on the line Gary Wilson and Gary, it is so nice to have you, especially on a holiday. Great to be here. Yeah. Now, you have really made it your mission for how many years to educate men and women about their brains on pornography? 
Well, maybe about six to eight years, depending on how you cut it. Uh, we first got started in it in this, and I say first us, uh, my wife and I, back in 2006. And I certainly had no interest in Internet porn or anything like that or what it was doing because, I mean, I'm an arch-liberal, I'm an agnostic, but something strange happened in 2006. My wife had a forum, and it was on a website, and it was her website, and it had nothing to do with porn. It was a website about relationships, and it had lots of articles about the neurobiology of love, sex, bonding, orgasm. And I guess, as far as we know, Google put together certain key words like dopamine or ejaculation or reward system. And somehow these guys started showing up and posting. And these guys were claiming to be addicted to porn, and most of them were saying that they had sexual problems they thought were associated with porn. And we said, what are you doing here? And they said, well, this is the only place we can post. Well, what Google does is it puts together those posts and more guys start showing up and more guys start showing up until they just overloaded my wife's forum. But what was interesting was they were giving up porn for several months and they were recovering from sexual dysfunction such as uh, erectile dysfunction, chronic erectile dysfunction, low libido, and strange porn tastes that they can only get off to now. And so we decided to write a few articles back in 2009, and then, of course, the flood grew. And my wife said, can you make a, a website? So I thought I'd make a t- little tiny website with some recovery stories and a few articles. But it blew up, too, and thousands of people started visiting it. I guess it was a big problem. And then I was asked to do a TED Talk, and I did that. And more and more people came until it was this flood of people coming to Your Brain on Porn, And then all these non-religious forums started to spring up around the web around 2010, 2011, 2012. And men started reporting their recovery from all these sexual problems. And they also described when they're recovering from these sexual problems, many unexpected benefits. So that's sort of the the short story, which is actually a pretty long story. Oh, but that makes sense. It was all accidental. There was no preconceived notions. Your wife's site was really about bonding and relationships. And somehow through the Internet, through these um, kind of that search um, optimization that occurs with words, we found out that there was this real issue. Now, the good news is that if somebody abstains from porn over a period of time, the functioning comes back. They have to actually abstain, don't they? Yeah, they came up with a word eventually. Uh, early in the days, they called it rebooting. Uh, it's the same as rebooting the brain. Of course, you never reboot because you have all the experiences in there, but it was the idea of abstaining from porn. Now, some of the guys also cut down on their masturbation, but the truth is, once the guys gave up porn, many had no desire to masturbate. In fact, most guys <clears throat> who have sexual dysfunctions and when they stop using porn, they go through what's called the flat line. And the flat line is where they have no libido at all. And they actually describe that their penis feels like it's cold, it's shrinking, and they may look at a woman 
and they may objectively see that she's beautiful, but there's actually nothing going on in their brain. Uh, and sometimes this flat line might last for a few weeks, but we've also heard in the last few years it can last for months. So uh, they give up the porn. They go through often withdrawal symptoms, similar to withdrawal symptoms that might occur with some drugs. That, those are often occur. Then they have a flat line, then they slowly start to regain their libido, and eventually over time they can have erections without porn and then have successful sex. And that, of course, is the goal. Well, absolutely. How scary for these guys. How long do you think it took them to figure out that there was a correlation between chronic um, pornography use, um, chronic masturbation, and erectile dysfunction? Lack of libido. Very very few uh, were finding out. And I suspect that the vast majority who have porn-induced erectile dysfunction or other sexual problems at this moment do, do not know. Uh, they would often say, I couldn't believe porn would do it. And they would describe their history. And we have thousands of these accounts, recovery accounts, not just, oh, I think I have porn-induced ED, but I recovered from it, meaning I did have it. And they would describe going to doctor after doctor or going to sexologist after sexologist. They're prescribed erectile dysfunction drugs. They don't work. But the meme out there, especially back in 2008, 2009, was there's no way that porn could be sex negative. It's only sex positive. But so most of them did not know, and to this day they don't know. And the reason I say that is because Here's a shocking stat for your audience. In the last 15 years, erectile dysfunction rates in men under 40 have risen 1,000% or more. And these are wow. studies. These are not men going to their doctor asking for Viagra. These are cross-sectional studies, anonymous studies, standardized questionnaires, and that rate is only going up in young men. It's not going up. In older men. So when I say 1,000%, historically, looking at studies and meta-studies uh, from 2000 and before, we find that the erectile dysfunction rates for men under 40 were between 2 and 3%, consistently, consistently. Then in 2009, 2010, some studies started coming out where it was jumping up, and now the rates in the last six main studies looking at young men is between 24 and 33% erectile dysfunction rates in men under 40. That's okay, so explain to our amazing. listening audience why young men as opposed to old men, or older well, men. I think the, uh, what's going on is when I say young men under 40 is that I think they just grew up on Internet porn. <clears throat> and this is a problem. Absolutely. So, uh, From what, ages 8, 9, 10, 11? Yeah, and you mentioned in your intro about Noah and Gabe who are on the Chelsea Handler show, and both of them described starting to look at porn at 9, 10 years old. So, of course, it's common. You're interested. You go on the Internet now in 2016, and you look up porn. Well, since the adolescent brain, the main purpose of the adolescent brain in all mammals is to rewire itself to everything sexual so that it can successfully reproduce, well, what is the sexual environment for a young man. It's sitting in front of a computer, 
<clears throat> uh, putting up about 20 tabs, watching hardcore videos, maybe only three minutes long, clicking from video to video, often never completing the video. And then while they're masturbating with one hand, while they're clicking with another, they often then decide to click on a thumbnail and go to some genre they've never been before because you go to something new, it's more exciting, more sexually arousing. So this is how they're training their brains to respond. They're conditioning their sexual arousal templates to everything associated with their porn use. And that would include not only sitting and being a voyeur, but excuse me, got a little allergy, but also the constant novelty, uh, clicking from scene to scene, new genres, endless numbers of porn stars, just searching and seeking, just searching for the perfect uh, scene to end with. All those things are occurring now, and they couldn't really occur prior to 2006 before the invention of tube sites. So I think what we're seeing now is young men who've conditioned their sexual arousal to everything associated with porn, and they're really hitting the wall. Well, absolutely. And so what I really hear you saying, because I work with a lot of older men, men in their 40s, 50s, and 60s, and they are experiencing erectile dysfunction too. However, they have not trained their brains in adolescence to look for the kinds of things while they are neurologically developing, they are looking for the new and improved, the new and different, the new and unique as older men, but it still doesn't have that same neurobiology that it does for adolescents who then grow up to be college students that grow up to be young men, correct? So that's the difference. That is the difference. And interesting enough, uh, back when these guys started showing up on my wife's site, Most of them were 30 and older, so that was almost 10 years ago, so now they're 40 and older. Mm -hmm. And they would recover in six to eight weeks. I mean, really solidly recover. They would get erections. They'd go back to having sex, and everything was hunky-dory. Then we started to see, starting in about 2011, 2012, young men showing up, 22, 23, and it was taking them longer to recover. And now we're starting to see young, some young men who are taking up to two years to recover. They are not solid, which means if they go back to porn for a little bit, they often then drop back into this flat line, lose their libido. So it's not a solid recovery. So what I'm saying is young men who are in the, at their peak of health at age 22 are taking longer to recover than a man who is 55, who's been using porn his entire life. Yeah, and interestingly enough, um, for some of our listening audience, they may not know what tube sites are. Can you share what those are? Yeah, so we know about YouTube, and YouTube was invented Mm -hmm. in uh, 2005, and so the porn industry took advantage of it and said, hey, this is a great idea, so let's create tube sites, because prior to that, you couldn't stream anything. You had to download it from a, <laughs> from a porn site or through Casas, and you get viruses, and it would take forever. So, I mean, just think of dial-up when it would take these guys like six minutes just to see a nude photo. Then, so what happened in 2006 is now you could stream, and of course speeds have gotten faster. Uh, high definition has been introduced. Now we have smartphones. And what you have is tube sites, 
And at the tube sites, you have all these thumbnails all over the side. So you can immediately click from short video to short video to short video as you're masturbating. So you can keep your arousal up. So in essence, we can think that young men, or any man is using it, is controlling their arousal with their mouse. And that, of course, in no way matches real sex, does it? Okay, thank you so much for explaining that. And and will you will you share the information? You know, I was saying that obviously I um, have a an adolescent group, and we call we call what they're dealing with. We don't call that sexual addiction, but they already have a very um, sexually aroused appetite, and they know that their experience is very compulsive and. Um, out of control. They can't stop. They've tried to stop. They've been in trouble with their parents. They've been in trouble at school. They've been in trouble with their girlfriends. And they have really tried to stop, but they're unable to. So it's very compulsive. And mm-hmm. I've had them watch Your Brain on Porn because you really do such a nice job of educating the average person how this is not an act of willpower or immorality. It is a neural biological occurrence in the brain. And so can you share a little bit about what happens to the brain as that uh, reward center lights up and creates the arousal template? Yeah, so we have our whole reward circuitry, which are all these complex structures deep in our brain, very ancient, uh, and they're found in uh, all mammals, and they're very similar. That's why they can study rats and mice and monkeys and and look at the neurobiology and the neurochemicals involved and, and, you know, transfer it to us. So if we think about nature, what occurs is the first step in addiction is what they call sensitization. And that means that your reward circuit lights up with dopamine to begin with, a neurochemical, a motivation neurochemical, to tell you to go for something. So we've experienced it. You don't have to be addicted. You're, uh, you're really hungry. You're di- driving down the road, and you smell McDonald's, if you like McDonald's. And all of a sudden, your stomach starts to growl, and you get an urge to go in and go get a hamburger. Well, what it's done is it's activated your reward center and says, go get it. You know, it's been 10 hours since you've eaten. It's time to eat. Well, that's a conditioned response. It means, okay, I smell McDonald's. It's time to eat. Well, what happens first in addiction is you get this condition response. It's a Pavlovian response, except it's on turbos. It's so powerful. You've heard the, the phrase nerve cells that fire together or wire together. Well, what goes on in Absolutely. addiction, let's say you're taking cocaine or you're smoking or let's say you're watching porn, the nerve cells that are in the larger part of the brain that are associated with all your memories, the pictures, your feelings associated with using porn, then they connect and wire together and send impulses down to your reward center to tell you to go get it. And as you continue to use, these wiring together becomes stronger. It's as if you're walking through a field of grass. And the more you walk through that field of grass, the more you create a pathway, and it's easier to go through it. And so this is the easy pathway, but it blasts the reward center, and it causes what we call cravings. And so these cravings are very hard to ignore because the reward center is the part of the brain that's really deciding what's necessary for your survival. 
So it becomes a point in addiction where you misinterpret this because it's blasting the reward center that this is necessary for your survival, whether it's cocaine or whether it's alcohol, whether if you do become addicted to porn, it becomes porn. So it really overrides your will because you think it's necessary for your survival. That's the first step, and then there's other steps to follow. So you're making it very understandable, and again, that's why this isn't an issue of willpower or immorality. This is something that happens in your brain that then creates those urges and cravings to look elsewhere and to work harder at finding those kind of dopamine highs. Um, So tell me, you know, men... In, in forums are healing from severe symptoms after quitting Internet porn. And you do. You've got this thing called the porn experiment, and you referenced that mm-hmm. at the beginning of the show. So this porn experiment is really about abstinence? Well, it's about abstinence from porn. Uh, every man does it different. It's not abstinence from masturbation. Uh, it's not abstinence from sex. But some guys do it. It really depends on their goals. So some guys, their goal is to often do 90 days and then see the effects. So even though in the beginning most of the the men who chose to give up porn and reboot, they were doing it for sexual problems such as ED or anorgasmia or declining interest in real partners, what occurred with them was the surprise is when they gave up porn and removed it, many of them started to experience other benefits. Uh, For example, concentration improved, ADH symptoms went away, brain fog went away, they had more energy, more motivation. Many of them report that their social anxiety decreases. Uh, Almost all of them report they become more confident and more social. Even some with severe depression say that their depression goes away, their emotional numbness fades. And on and on, there's many benefits. So nowadays, young men who grew up using Internet porn are often giving up porn, not necessarily for sexual problems. They're giving it up to see if it has affected them in these other ways that you wouldn't necessarily associate with porn use. So these are, this is what I call the other porn experiment, because the regular porn experiment is most of our young generation using as soon as they can <laughs> start to masturbate or before. But the other porn experiment is these hundreds of thousands of young men who are removing the variable of porn use and then monitoring and describing the results. Okay. So that is truly the porn experiment. And are there ways... My listeners could become a part of that porn experiment? <laughs> you mean the other porn experiment? Uh, yeah. Well, you know, there's, there's lots of forums if men want to go on forums and write or just peruse uh, the forums and read stories. They can go to Your Brain on Porn. I don't have a forum, but I have collected a lot of material that they could read and look at, and they can look at other stories. The other forums, uh, nofap.org, uh, I mean .com, there's Reddit NoFap, there's Reddit Porn Free, Your Brain Rebalanced, Reboot Nation. Those are some of the ones that are popular where we gather some of these stories. It's mostly young men, but it's also women. It's also older men. 
And some of the forums, they actually have places where you can start a journal. Uh, maybe you can get a buddy who helps you quit. And people find that helpful. So there's lots of ways to Absolutely. join the other and porn experiment. Go, sorry. Again, Go ahead. for our listening audience, there may be some men and certainly some women just took in some of your recommendations, Reboot Nation. You said they may not know what fapping is. Can you share that terminology? Yeah, yeah well, fapping is uh, just the sound of noise, like two hands clapping, but it's the sound of noise to a man masturbating. So uh, the word is fap. Now, the interesting thing, we have no fap, which you would assume means no masturbation. Some of them do. But if you, if you look in the sidebar on Reddit NoFap, Reddit is this huge site with lots of what are called subreddits, <clears throat> thousands and thousands of them. Well, Reddit NoFap is a place, and you look at the sidebar, and they say the only, the only thing you have to stop for a true reboot is porn use. You can have other types of reboots where you stop masturbation, and some people even stop uh, having orgasms for 90 days, but those are only temporary. I want to keep that in mind. So everyone does it their own way depending on their goals. <clears throat> there you go. All right. And so, again, you were talking about the two young men that have kind of made it their mission uh, for adolescents and certainly for college-age men. They They are advocating that men figure out that – when you're isolating yourself and you're you are relying on porn, um, and of course, like you said, what was the year that you gave that things we really went to to tube sites? Two thousand six. Two thousand six. Yeah, I mean, again, what we're seeing today in the world of sexual addiction, um, and in this case, pornography use, we're seeing uh, brains that have never had to deal with so many uh, scene changes. And, you know, I, again, I, I work with so many older men that their high is not so much pornography, it's seeing what else is out there next. And if you are a 16, 17, 18-year-old young male, you know how to flip, how to, how to get into the thumbnails, how, how to view 10, 20, 30 different scenarios within seconds yeah you know and that's what makes the internet different <clears throat> so if we think about the reward circuit and it's supposed to uh, it's really the place where we decide what we don't and do like and it's always running and we're always consulting our reward circuit about what we do and don't like and we're making choices and the interesting thing about the reward circuit is changes in the reward circuit is really behind most mental disorders, so it's very powerful, and the reward circuit colors our mood. Uh, but here's the interesting thing about how the reward circuit works. We think that, okay, we, the reward circuit lights up for such things as food and sex and love, but it also lights up for novelty, anything that's new. That was very important in animals to notice whether something was new, whether it's dangerous, or maybe it's a predator, or maybe it's positive. Maybe it's a new mate. Maybe it's a new food source. But you get a shot of dopamine with novelty. So the Internet is nothing but novelty, and that's why it's so appealing. 
You know, think about Facebook. Facebook is nothing but words and pictures. But now there is Facebook addiction. There are studies published on people who have Facebook addiction. It's just words and pictures. But the way it's put together is it's endless novelty. This constant searching and seeking also elevates dopamine, as does the anticipation of the next page opening. That ups dopamine. And interesting enough, in relationship to sexual arousal, both shock, surprise, and even anxiety can elevate dopamine and actually elevate cortisol and adrenaline and activate the reward circuit even more. So if you think about a young man who's clicking around, he's clicking to something shocking, something uh, anxiety-producing. Maybe he's moved from lesbian to gangbang to incest porn, and the more shocking and surprising and anxiety-filled it is, the bigger bang he might get, the more arousal he might have. And so that's what makes the Internet and Internet porn so unique is the ability to do that and do that with streaming videos. It's just like nothing else we've experienced before. So you have become quite an expert on this um, situation, and, and it's by accident that you became quite an expert. Yeah, you know, earlier you mentioned about, you know, your group and the young men who are just really having trouble. And that's the reason that we put up your brain on porn is because we would get emails. We would get all sorts of people contacting us because they're suicidal. A young man, age 22, is suicidal because he feels that he's ruined sexually for life. He can't get aroused with anything. And now he's come to the point where he came and get aroused with uh, porn, even the most shocking porn, and he thinks he'll never be able to have sex with a person again. So we felt that there was a huge gap, and there was, and there still is, between what was actually occurring out there and the memes and the research that was out there. So we had to fill that gap because we felt we had to. We just had to. Okay, so... Now, you are not just speculating this. You actually, um, you're staying on top of the current research on Internet porn addiction. And, mm-hmm. and one, of the, uh, one of the research projects are brain studies of porn users. And so I love that you are, are helping us as certified sexual addictions therapists. You're helping us to, to see the... This pornography addiction is different from a lot of the other sexual addictions. Can you explain to our listening audience why? Well, yeah, that's one of the things where I, we get ourselves into trouble because we uh, have articles <clears throat> and we say Internet porn addiction is not sex addiction. And you know better than me because you've been in the field, but the traditional sex addict, you know, people often think, of course, Tiger Woods, etc. They often think of a man. They often think of an older man. They often think of someone who's acting out, maybe with prostitutes, maybe uh, serial relationships, maybe who knows what. But what we're seeing now is young men, the vast majority, the vast majority don't act out in any way. They are addicted to porn, if they are addicted. They get aroused watching porn. They don't have the urge to go out and act out. 
most of their sexual activity since they were first starting to masturbate is sitting in front of the screen, clicking from the scene to scene. So what we have is what you would call a new type of addict, and it's because of the availability. And that's not unheard of in you know history is when something really powerful that's addictive becomes widely available, a lot of people get addicted. We can go back to smoking. Over 50% of adults in America were addicted to smoking back in the 50s and 60s. It was widely available and promoted. But now, unlike adults starting smoking, we have young men at age 11 and 12 starting on Internet porn, and perhaps every masturbation or nearly every masturbation session they have is to Internet porn maybe for five, six years prior to their first kiss. So it's changing or it's altering their sexual templates. And yes, they may become addicted, but many of the young men are having problems, sexual problems and otherwise, without really being addicted. They can quit rather easily, but they still have some of the side effects I've described. That makes total sense. Now, if, if my listening audience wanted to find out more about this, especially because I do have um, some young um, listeners at, who consistently email me because they feel um, lesser than because they can't get into a relationship because they're afraid to, who would you recommend or what would you recommend in terms of reading or YouTube sites or whatever? Well, there's so many levels to it, and I do think the forums are a good way to go because the men are very supportive and they can address anyone's specific questions. And they often talk about, you know, how to uh, enhance your life. Many of them start to exercise, they get off the Internet, they change their diet, they become more social, they take a dance class, they start to read books uh, about uh, being social, about dating. And so really what occurs is as the men unplug, sort of like unplug from the matrix, they start, they need to replace that reward. And if it's not video games and it's not porn, then what are natural rewards? Well, it's socializing, isn't it? That's number one, dating, friends, doing things, hobbies. And so I think going on these forums and discussing this, uh, it's really a big topic on what do I do now? How do I get myself out there? And so I, I would suggest the forums. They're really the way to go. Well, and that makes sense because obviously one of the major problems of Internet porn is it keeps somebody isolated. And so what you're suggesting is that that forum or, or forums helps, helps men to substitute that, that pornography use with connection and with support. And, and therefore, they're getting, they're creating some dopamine from healthy ways. And and so you feel like clearly it's not something you can just talk to anybody about. So it's very nice that they can talk to people that have been through it, and and hopefully they don't have to reinvent the wheel. They can some, get some help, similar to a twelve-step group. Yeah, you know, it's similar without any particular structure. But often there's a structure that comes along. You know, they'll say, well. Have you started to socialize? 
Have you started your exercise program? Are you eating a bunch of junk food? Are you getting off the Internet two hours before you go to sleep? So they're always giving each other the same advice over and over again. And, again, as you know better than me, if you remove, you know, the addiction and replace it with beneficial uh, rewards, that's, you know, that's the way you, you get out of addiction. You just can't white-knuckle it, can you? Absolutely. So now you you were talking about studies, and there are studies showing the associations between porn use and sexual dysfunction, relationships and sexual dissatisfaction, and abnormally low libido. So if I have somebody who has been chronically watching pornography since he was age 12, and you know, it used to be when I first became a CSAT, they said that by the time you were an 11-year-old, you had seen 20 hours of hardcore pornography. What, really? well, what does the research show right now for 10- or 11-year-olds? Well, there isn't really much research. They don't ask 10- or 11-year-olds, and that's the deal. Is The only thing they do is they go back and maybe ask some college students what they thought you know, when they started, and they often don't uh, quantify it in terms of hours of use. They, the questions are simply, well, when did you first start uh, choosing to use? And there's only a couple of studies like that. So they don't quantify the amount. They really don't. And so what they've come up with, and it really depends on the study, they'll say nearly 98% of young men in Sweden regularly use, and they'll break it down. They may have 30% that are using you know, three times a week, about 15% every day. But again, who are they asking? They're asking young men who are in a psychology class in college. They're not asking a cross-sectional. And, and people tend to sort of lie in studies, to tell you the truth, especially young people. It's been well-established. So we really don't have good stats on that. And that's where we have to sort of do the interview type, where you'll see where they go in and interview young men. Oh, yeah, I use, I use, I use. So by the time they're in middle school, most are using by seventh and eighth grade, at least occasionally. And I don't know when we're going to have good studies that quantify the hours of use in young people, in people under 18. Well, that's a very honest answer, and that just makes sense. So I would suspect that when I heard the, by the time um, somebody's 11, they've seen 20 hours of porn, that then was a guesstimate based on college-age student. I mean, that's what you're, you're, hypo, you're, yeah. you're thinking about. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and that's the problem. It's, it's just college-age students. And if you've ever watched the TED Talk by uh, Philip Zimbardo, The Demise of Guys, he points to the fact that a lot of young men aren't even making it college. So now we have 60% uh, females in college, 40% males. What's happening to them? So he's suggesting that uh, porn use, uh, video game use, is actually causing a decline in men entering college. So we'd have to do a real cross-section of all men, in their 20s rather than just those that are taking a psychology class at a university. Well, that makes you know, sense, too. So are you, are you making it your mission to follow up on this, and are you going to be studying pornography and, and its effects on young men for the rest of your life? 
Well, I certainly hope not, but for now I feel that we're needed and we're still filling in a gap and I'm making lists like you'll see out there, you'll see maybe someone do a blog post and say there's absolutely no science behind uh, Internet porn addiction. So I decided to make a list. So on the front page I list 24 studies, neurological studies, and every one of them uh, lends support to porn addiction. And then I make another list. They say there's no studies showing any correlation between porn use and sexual problems. So I made another list of recent studies. There are 10 of them. So I feel like since I don't see these types of lists out there, I don't see people debunking these talking points that are absolutely ridiculous and unsupported, I feel it's a need. And I feel it's a need because, you know, I'm concerned about young men who are getting bad information. I appreciate that. So you, so you're not committing to doing this for the rest of your life, but you are definitely committed to helping people <clears throat> to understand there is research out there that there are neurobiological effects to this, and and educating people. I mean, you recently had posted something. I think it was through Twitter, and it was um, Chelsea Handler uh, interview on Netflix. Now you have to be a Netflix user to be able to see that, but on your site, you posted about uh, a minute and 50 seconds of conversation between two young men. Give us their names, because they both have done um, internet education. Noah Church is one. Yeah, so Noah B. Church is one. He has his own YouTube channel, lots of great videos. He did this fantastic talk, uh, about 20 minutes long. It's on the front page of my site, yourbrainonporn.com, in the right corner. The other one is Gabe Deem. He's done many talks. He's been on TV, on radio also. Uh, he also started a recovery forum called Reboot Nation. And so both of them, uh, because they had severe porn-induced ED, and it really affected them negatively, and then they recovered, they felt they had to get the word out. And just think how brave it is. No man wants to talk about the fact that he has erectile dysfunction. But these young men are not only talking about it, they're putting their face to it, and they're getting on Netflix <laughs> you know, in front of what will be millions of people and talking about the fact that their penises didn't work. And so that's pretty brave. That's pretty brave. 100%. And I, I guess what I really admired is that I think it was Gabe, probably both of them, I've seen them do stand-up, if you will, where they're talking to people almost as a comedy routine. What they're doing is they're describing their own experience and kind of the absurdity it goes behind the compulsivity of porn use. It's very entertaining, but it's also very, very educational. Yeah, and they're not alone, so they're, uh, they're prominent because they've been on a few shows. But now young men all over the place are going ahead and putting up their little YouTube discussions of their reboot, of their porn-induced ED. Uh, you can put into YouTube NoFap or Reboot or Porn and Erectile Dysfunction, you'll come up with many young men who are describing the benefits 
and describing their journey. So, you know, it's reality TV generation where everyone gets up in front of the camera and describes their life. So uh, I think they're just more comfortable with it. 100%. Now, as we begin to wrap up tonight's interview, what research would you like to see done so that, you know, we as CSATs can advocate for that in the world of sexual addiction? Well, you know, when I think of CSATs and I think even of, um, you know, some of the, uh, I forgot the word, but what they, what they, the type of research I would like to see is monitoring patients. You know, one of the things that naysayers say is that this isn't a real addiction because you don't have withdrawal symptoms and you don't have escalation. Well, you and I know that's false. We know that these young men have withdrawal symptoms, severe withdrawal symptoms. And we also know that young men escalate or older men escalate into hard genres, into places they don't even want to go. So it would be great if uh, organizations would actually gather together data and have that as one of the questions, you know, what are you experiencing when you quit, you know, after one week, two weeks, three weeks, and put that material together because we know it exists. We know they experience withdrawal symptoms. And that would sort of put the end to this idea that it's not a real addiction. And, of course, we have lots of neuroscience now supporting it, fMRIs and EEGs and all sorts of neuropsych studies supporting the porn addiction model. But what I really want to see, I really want to see is an experiment and studies where they remove the variable. In other words, they have people who have been chronic porn users stop using porn and then monitor the effects. For example, you could get a bunch of young men who have what they can believe to be porn-induced sexual dysfunctions because they've been checked by urologists and everything's okay. And then when they try to masturbate without porn, they can't get an erection, and they go, okay, well, let's have these guys quit. And then they monitor them for maybe a year, and they monitor the symptoms, they monitor the effects, they monitor their emotions, the psychological effects, and they discover that, of course, porn-induced ED is real because these guys heal. So that's the type of experiments I want to see is removing porn as a variable and then monitoring the changes in symptoms and even symptoms you wouldn't associate with porn use, such as mood, depression, anxiety, uh, motivation, and just see if those things change. That makes total sense. Now, you and I both know that it is very difficult to get some of these um, disorders, conditions, approved by the DSM-5. I mean, for people that don't know, there's this thing called the DSM, and it is the Diagnostic Statistical Manual by which psychiatry uses to determine is something a psychiatric problem, is there some sort of mental condition, what sort of neurology is going along with this. And, and we often hear that the DSM has rejected porn addiction. So Obviously, give us your take on that, and what can we well, do about that? Yeah, so the DSM-5, we all have to agree, <clears throat> it's a very political 
document. And people often call it the Bible of psychiatry. Uh, it's not a Bible at all. It's just a way to um, assess or get re, you know, insurance reimbursement. The DSM is always changing, but reality doesn't change. So something that is voted on, something that changes, cannot represent reality. And the National Institutes of Mental Health said back in 2012-2013 when the new DSM-5 was coming out that they are no longer going to fund research based on the DSM-5 diagnosis, that they are not scientifically or biologically based diagnosis. In other words, they're basically saying the DSM-5 is close to pseudoscience. It's just not up to snuff. So let's not say that the DSM is the Bible. And in fact, it's just for the APA. It's just for the U.S. I would encourage anyone to go read an article, and it's by Richard Kruger, who is actually on the DSM. He's on the committee about sexuality, you know, the committee that supposedly rejected porn addiction. Well, what the committee did was they rejected hypersexuality. Porn addiction was never never considered. So I would like to see porn addiction as a subcategory of Internet addiction, just like Todd Love described in his paper, and have it be separate from hypersexuality. I don't like the term hypersexuality. It, it doesn't really describe the condition and assumes that conditions are pre-existing. Now, what I would suggest is the ICD... 10, which is soon to be the ICD-11. And there's an article called Diagnosis of Hypersexual or Compulsive Sexual Behavior Can Be Made Using the ICD-10 and the DSM-5 Despite Rejection of This Diagnosis by the American Psychiatric Association by Richard B. Kruger. It came out last month. It's an addiction journal. So it's in a journal. And he's basically saying, hey, you can diagnose it. Here's how you do it. You can diagnose it with the DSM-5, and you can diagnose it with the ICD. And the ICD is by WHO, a World Health Organization, and it's their version of the DSM. And it's accepted throughout the world. So in essence, it supersedes the DSM. So all of this, you know, getting caught up in what the DSM does is really not good. It's really not the Bible. And he also said, he, he said that sexual compulsive behavior is being considered for the new ICD-11 that's going to be published in 2018. So I would suggest that article by Richard B. Kruger, and I think you'll get a, bit, a different picture on the DSM and where it stands, and really its validity. And that is an excellent place to end. So for all of our clinicians who are listening, again, that's Richard B. Kruger. Look for his study that came out, you said, last month? Last month uh, in Addiction, the journal Addiction, Richard B. Kruger. All right. Yeah, Gary Wilson, comment. thank you so much for helping to educate the listening audience um, this is a big issue, and it's so sensitive because men don't want to talk about it. And, you know, you're dealing with it from an adolescent young man's standpoint. And, and unfortunately, 
I tend to see people when they're a little bit older, and they may not be experiencing the phenomena that you're talking about because they haven't had the years of, you know, prepubescent through adolescence, through college age. But this is a big issue for anybody who overstimulates with any kind of pornography on a regular basis. So thank you so much, and I, I, hope, to, I hope to talk with you again soon. Okay, thank you very much. All right, you have a good Memorial Night. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Right, so, again, that was Gary Wilson. Gary um, has a website called Your Brain on Porn. Absolutely amazing. And as you can tell, I mean, he really has made it his mission to to educate people and to be a pioneer in the field so that people get the help they need without feeling the stigma. And so I really thank him for putting his energies into this effort. All right, we're going to end for tonight, and I, I appreciate you hanging out with me on Memorial Day. Gary and I, two of the hardest-working people in, in uh, this field, obviously, to be working Memorial Day. Hey, hope you had a good weekend. We'll catch you next Monday night. As I say at the end of every show, there will only be one of you at all times, so I want you to fearlessly have the courage to be yourself and make sure to find somebody to be honest with and to connect with and uh, to feel good about. You have a great week.